Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy, druids. In cars. Going to festivals. So am I the imposter, or are you? I am always the imposter. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things you got asked was about imposter syndrome and the idea that you're not good enough to do this work and kind of how you get over and around that more around it, I think, than over it. Well, I'm I'm still pretty convinced that you don't have imposter syndrome. <laughs> Which I think might be part of my imposter syndrome. <laughs> I think it probably is. Uh, I, I have a feeling that most all of us, certainly I myself, uh, are not quite sure we know what we're doing. Yeah. But we've gotten pretty good at faking it. We're, I, I am certainly in the fake it till you make it crowd. I, I believe that, you know, as long as you're doing okay and nobody's complaining, you're probably doing okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth it to define imposter syndrome, which is this idea that um, everyone else seems to think that you have your act together. When internally you're like, man, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm just, I'm a pretender to all these people and when they find out, they're going to hate me. Um. Yes. It is that idea that, indeed, you don't really know what you're doing, that despite all of the success that you've had... All the evidence to the contrary. All the evidence to the contrary... You're really not good at it. (laughs) And yes, they will hate you and they will find out. And they will ostracize you when they finally find out. They'll find out you're an imposter. Yes. (laughs) And, And I don't know if my personal strategy for overcoming imposter syndrome means that I don't have imposter syndrome. I tend to think that, you know, I... I probably feel that I am at least as incompetent as you feel that you are. (laughs) I don't know. That's a pretty high bar. (laughs) I think that we all feel roughly equally incompetent about things. Um, But over the the last many years, because I've been a priest now for, well, 15 years... And I've been a senior priest for ten more than a decade. You're, yeah, you're ten point. more than me. I am. In your senior priesthood, so 
Yes. Which means that when I tell you that I still don't know what I'm doing, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have ten more years at least of not knowing what you're doing to look forward to. Uh, uh, but you know, I, I've I've done all the work in ADF's clergy training program. I heck, I even wrote a good chunk of it. Um, I. I get tapped to do stuff from time to time that I am not totally certain that I am capable of doing. And yet, I'm not certain that I am capable of doing those things. Well, I think... So honestly, I think having you as my co-priest probably makes my imposter syndrome worse. (laughs) I don't see why. I'm just a hack. No, but see, what happens is, is that you have a lot more experience and you have a lot of social capital and so for instance when we go to things and the two of us are standing next to each other as we often are is that you're going to be the one who's asked to do something because clearly you are way more competent than me and I have no idea what I'm doing and I really shouldn't be here anyways and I should just leave and go sit down somewhere else see everyone who thinks that including you is wrong (laughs) Congratulations. Welcome to my mental process. <laughs> the, the, the whole process, and, and yes, I do get asked to do some things, but frankly, you get asked to do things that I don't get asked to do. <laughs> you may have noticed, and probably dismissed out of hand. What All those are. evidence to the contrary. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the work that, that we do is, is, is different. And, and that's one of the most annoying things about imposter syndrome is that it, it, for, it prevents you from recognizing the differences and the, the differential skill sets that you have because, you know, literally no one is going to come to me to bar and write. <laughs> Nobody is going to do that. I, can, I know all the songs. I can sing them. But... If someone does come to me, I'm going to tell them to go to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, so I, I think this also, you know, helps, well, I guess anti-helps <laughs> with imposter syndrome, is that when you do finally overcome part of it, uh, you fall into this like, well, great, now I'm typecast as this, and all I can do is that. I am always going to end up being asked to do inspiration, and Michael is always going to do the waters. <laughs> that, that, can, that can certainly be a feeling. I mean, and part of that is just because you did something really well, and people remember it. <laughs> this, is the, this is how my brain figures it out. <laughs> My brain says, well, if they're not asking me to do that piece, then either I need to find a place where I can do that piece and gain some kind of reputation for doing it, or, you know, I can be content with what I have been asked to do, and that's fine too. I think that that fear of being typecast is why... I push so hard for other people to try new things. Yes. Um, Like, specifically when we do our, um, like, when we did our Summerland Unity Rite this past year, I specifically put out there, I was like, I would really like to see someone who is not clergy 
take on the gates and the waters. Um, because I don't want people to feel like we don't think they're capable of those things. Right. Um, and so I, I, I think part of the, the experience of my own imposter syndrome has uh, made me hyper aware of what it feels like to think that other people think you can't do something. Yes. And one of the, the best ways organizationally to combat imposter syndrome is to do just that, to spread the work around, to, to notice who has been left out and ask them to do some of the work. ADF, I mean, we have highly skilled, very competent priests, and it's easy for us to turn an entire ritual over to the clergy at a festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should be recognizing not only the priests, but also the festival organizers, um, our groves. We should be recognizing that we don't just train priests, we also train initiates. We also train dedicants. We train hearth keepers. And all of those groups of people are also experts in their own way in the work that we do. Yeah, I think probably the... So there are two things, I think, that have helped me combat my own imposter syndrome the best. Um, the first one, as we've said, is this idea of empowering other people. Yeah. Um, so that that's the big one. The second one is when I have conversations with someone and I realize that I actually do know the answers to questions that they're asking me. Yeah. Because it's not something that I would ever necessarily be able to just like spout off. But when I'm having a discussion and I realize, oh, like I I guess I actually do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I, I happen to know a thing or two about this thing. And it happens to be all my original thoughts. Who knew? <laughs> so like those are the so like having having discussions with other people uh, is, is the other thing that like has really helped me combat this imposter syndrome. Yeah, and we, we have talked a number of times too about all of a sudden having to put on your priest hat. Oh yeah. And having someone, you know, having a conversation turn from a friendly conversation to I don't know what to do about this thing and I need a priest. Yeah. That is, was one of the big things, too, for me, was when I had priests do that to me. Oh, yeah. When I had an ADF priest turn things around on me and say, hey, here's my problem, here's the thing that I, I'm struggling with or dealing with, um, the, the first time that happened was a big moment for me, and it was like, oh... Well, someone else has placed value on my thoughts on this, mm-hmm. and they've come to they've come to me as a priest, and they are they are someone that I consider competent. So clearly, they must consider me competent. So I'm doing something right. Yeah, I've had that happen in a couple of different contexts. Probably the first uh, context was um, after I was ordained. And people who had been in the grove longer than me, who, like, I consider to, you know, have more seniority than me, know better than me what what they're doing, um, just, like, accept me as priest and start um, 
coming to me with things that like I had to put my priest hat on for. Uh, like that was that was scenario one, and then scenario two was when I had friends who either were or were not involved in paganism <laughs> be like, I know you're a priest and. I need to have a conversation that, with you that is beyond just being my friend. Yeah. Okay. And then the third one is the when other priests have come to me and be like, I need you to put your priest hat on for me for a second. Yep. So, yeah, I've had all those experiences, which are just, they are definitely like, oh, okay, guess I, guess, guess other, other people see me this way, so I must have some some competence, I guess. <laughs> yes. And, and part of that, too, is you have to make that assumption that you have that competence. And I encourage anyone who has, you know, ever had one of those kinds of conversations, um, whether you're a senior druid or whether you're, uh, you know, a priest yourself or initiate, um, when someone comes to you seeking your specific skill set, assume that it is an endorsement. <laughs> because it is. Uh, yeah, it's hard to not listen to the part of your brain that's like, oh, they're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing. And just set that aside for a minute uh, and assume that, you know, they've seen something in you that you can't see yourself. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the easy and key ways to, to start overcoming that imposter syndrome. The other thing is that, and, and this is, this is really just a, a, a thing that you do with experience. And that is, you learn what it's like when you push through it. And you learn that, you know, I'm not really likely to screw this thing up. Um, and that is a hard place to get to because it requires you to push through the, the experience of, oh no, I'm going to mess up and get to the other side of it. But when you've done it, when you do it that first time, call it a victory. You know, understand how your body reacts. Pay attention to the signals that your your mind and body send when you successfully do something, and that will help a lot. It's how we get through stage fright too. I I have awful stage fright. One of these days we should talk about that if we haven't already. I don't know if we have. I don't know. But um, the the process of just getting through it and recognizing that nothing bad happened. Is a, is a big killer of that idea of imposter syndrome of, of I'm not really good enough or I'm going to fall flat on my face. Yeah, for me, I've got a little bit of it, like one of my strategies comes from my time both in theater but also in uh, gymnastics, like this performative sport. Right. Um, and it's this this knowledge that beforehand I am so nervous and I feel like I'm going to screw everything up but also the metacognition to be like I know that as soon as I start things will be fine and so for me that push through is 
before I even start doing something. And then once I've begun, like my whole body calms down and I fall into what I know how to do. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens with me. So when I'm prepped for the work, there's that there's that piece of stage fright or fear or imposter or whatever it might be. It, it just kind of hangs there. And the only way that I have found to reliably get rid of it is to shove it into a dark box and say, <laughs> you know, you can come out later if it turns out you're right. <laughs> um, and then just pushing through and doing the thing that I'm supposed to do. Because what I know, and again, this is experience. What I know of my experiences of stage fright and my experiences of um, this imposter syndrome is that once I've taken the, the right number of steps down that path, which is usually one to three steps, mm-hmm. um, I, I regain the confidence, I regain the ability to do the work. It's it's stepping out onto the stage that is the hard part of stage fright. It's not when you're out there. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, sometimes I mess up. I mean, that, that happens even more frequently now because I am out of practice because we've been through a pandemic. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, the Summerlin Unity, right? I screwed up the simplest lines we have, which are, you know, by the might of the waters and the light of the fire. I'm like, who screws that up? I screw that up, you know? (laughs) But it doesn't stop me from doing it again, and it doesn't mean that I wasn't capable of doing it. It means I screwed up once. Yeah, I had that experience this weekend when I was doing... uh my workshop on writing invitations to the spirits and then like the last piece of that workshop is okay we're gonna everyone's gonna write a part and we're gonna do a ritual and so I'm handing them out and we get to the ritual I'm like oh I forgot to assign someone that (laughs) I totally forgot that was a part in this whole thing and a lot of it was like luckily I was able to be like well I know what I'm doing but this is just you know I forgot it that's fine Um, And I think it's because I was already in that performative mode for me that I was able to fall back on my, like, my improv and my theater and and just roll with it. Yeah. And I'll be honest, if you're you're stuck in stage fright and uh, imposter syndrome and all those kinds of things, taking an improv class is a really good idea. Because it'll push your boundaries and it'll stretch you. And, I mean, for for someone who never did theater, like myself, the idea of taking an improv class is in itself a scary thing. But once you understand, and this is the other piece about the imposter syndrome, once you understand that everybody in an intro to improv class has no idea what they're doing. (laughs) It makes it far easier to do the whole thing because you realize the playing field is level. Some people might be better at it than others, but that doesn't mean that the playing field is not entirely level. it, It is really the same way with what we do as priests. 
you know, if, if you have become a priest, if you have become an initiate, if you have passed your DP, if you have, you know, successfully managed the hearthkeeper's work, you are skilled at this stuff. Yeah. You, you have met a basic bar. And people have looked at you and said, all right, this person seems competent enough to do this. Take them at their word. Because if they let you in, if they said, <laughs> okay, let's do this, if they gave you a part in ritual, they think you can do it. They are endorsing your work. Don't let it stand in your way. <laughs> yeah, you have to listen to them. <laughs> Not to Siri, but <laughs> yeah. You you have to you have to listen to the people who try and give you the the power and the ability to do the work, because. Not your brain, who's trying to kneecap you. Exactly. Your brain is being a jerk. But the people that you're that you're working with, they're there for you. And you know, this is this is not about mental health. It's not about um, any of that kind of stuff. But sometimes our brains are dumb, regardless of who you are. And you just gotta ignore your brain for a minute and trust your gut and trust your instincts and trust your training. And trust the people who have trusted you. Yeah. They're there for a reason and they're there to help. All the way across the board. We're all there to help. And if you've got a concern or a worry or you don't think you can do it, um, talk to the person who trusted you with it. Because they will tell you, no, I think you can do it. Because otherwise I wouldn't have signed you this part. Use the left two lanes to continue onto Berkshire Spurs. Sure thing, Siri. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org, and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes, and let us pray with a good fire.